I'm going to be honest. I have no idea if today's episode is going to make sense. But if it is going to make sense, you got to know two things about me. Number one is, and I've said this before on the podcast, that I feel like guilt seems to be the tinnitus of my soul. Whether it's just my upbringing or wherever that comes from, just feeling guilty about things. Let's just say it's been a lot of work in my life for me to take that from the driver's seat of my mind and put it in the back seat and t- tell my guilt, hey, listen, I'm, I know I'm not able to kick you fully out of the car, but you're not touching the wheel and you're sure as hell not touching the radio. Now, when I say guilt, that can mean the big things in my life, the big regrets that I have that I feel bad about, or... It also, for me, can mean the small daily ruminations. I get out of a conversation with someone and I'm like, oh man, I, I just can't stop thinking about it. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I would have said it like this. Oh, I feel bad for that. Whatever it is, that's what that looks like for me oftentimes in my life. And the second thing you should know about me is that I've been having this reoccurring dream for as long as I can remember. It's a dream theme. Something I was listening to last night, a professor talking about Arthurian legend actually made me think it might be connected to guilt, King Arthur, Sir Lancelot, and my artistic voice. Okay, hang in with me here. I think this will make sense. I don't know where or when, uh, where, I don't know where I was sleeping, but no, I don't know when this started happening in my life, but I've had this reoccurring thematic dream in which I'm trying to get somewhere and I feel stuck. Like all of a sudden the air is jello. Okay. Here's an example. Uh, I remember one time I was, I had this dream where Sarah and I were at Universal Studios in Orlando. I don't know why we went there uh, on our honeymoon back in the day, because at that time we were totally unoriginal. So we were at Universal Studios and uh, in my dream and like the park was going to close down and there was like that we, for some reason in our mind, we were like, we got to get to the Harry Potter section of the park. We got to get there and ride the rides and so we have to close down. So we're in a rush and I just, we're trying to get there, but I can't, like, I can't move. I can't get just past the front gate. It's just, it's so, finally I get like close enough. I could almost reach it and just nothing. I can't move forward. This theme has showed up in countless different ways and different storylines, but that theme of me just not being able to move forward. Now, I didn't, I've always wondered like, okay, do, do dreams matter? Is this, should I read in this? What does it say about me? What does it symbolize? But last night I was listening to a professor from England who is a uh, an expert in Arthurian lore, the study of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I'm a nerd. I know this. I love this crap. Once in Future King. I love that book. Uh, back in the day, I had like this huge phase where I was diving into that kind of stuff. But uh, I couldn't sleep last night. Sarah was asleep next to me and I was laying there listening, lying there. I was lying down. No, I was lying down. I was laying. Yeah, that's where it is. I was lying in bed watching this video of Malcolm Geitz talk about the adventures of Lancelot. And he is a poet. I think he was a priest at one point in time, but he is just a brilliant scholar. And he has been working on this project for years where he is putting, he's because the problem, here's the deal. The problem with Arthurian legend is that 
there are so many different versions of the story and a lot of the books we have like facts have changed and okay what is what are the like this story says this thing this story says another thing so he's been compiling all this information information about the lore of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and he's putting it into a modern poetry that would have that would tell the story of it and this he was just reading off this longer section about the the adventures of Lancelot and in it, he talks about this moment where Lancelot has been hunting down the Holy Grail, and he finally finds himself in the middle of the night in this situation in the middle of the woods. All of a sudden, he is near, suddenly, the Holy Grail, and uh, he finds himself half asleep, half awake, that kind of moment in between. But like that kind of, have you ever heard of those horror stories where someone's like conscious, but their body's still asleep and they, they're they like, they're screaming inside their head, but they can't move or make a sound. It's kind of like that kind of situation. He finds himself, he's, he can't move. And no matter how much work, he just can't even lift an army so close finally to the grail and he just cannot get there. And all of a sudden like my, my, Ears perk up. I'm like, holy crap. Okay, this. I wonder where this goes. So later, the rest of the night, he isn't able to move and he wakes up in the morning and the grail's gone and the people that were around him are gone. And all of a sudden, this hermit comes out, This the wise sage comes out to talk to him, to guide him. And he says, well, why, what was the situation? What was holding you back? And it turns out it was it was his shame and his guilt that was holding him back. And the hermit encourages him to admit to him and God and confess his sins and his past and give credit to God for everything he's gotten in his life that's been positive. And so Lancelot just ends up dumping this admitting to this crazy story that happened to him. And apparently what happened, this thing that he's been holding on to, the story is that uh, King Arthur brings Sir Lancelot to the Knights of the Round Table and he brings him in and he's like his understudy. Sir Lancelot's like one of the greatest knights in the world and King Arthur takes him under his wing. But Lancelot falls in love with Arthur's queen, his wife, Guinevere. And they start having this, like, this romantic just like re relationship where nothing physically is happening, but they're having all this like sexual tension between them. So a situation happens where... Uh, Sir Lancelot finds finds himself called out into the forest, and he, as he's roaming around, he stumbles upon this castle, and who he thinks is Guinevere is there, and they just fall into like this passionate embrace, and they it ends up. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like how how like non Arthurian I can explain this. <laughs> so they have this crazy night of fornication together and he wakes up in the morning and he is just riddled with guilt and he rolls over in bed and he realizes that it actually there was like a spell over him and it wasn't Guinevere after all it was Ellen of Corbenic and so he's up with this other woman and Ellen's like what are you what's the matter what's the problem why are you freaking out he's like get away from me and he runs out in the forest and he's just freaking distraught right so he and like distraught not that he didn't sleep with Guinevere but actually more distraught that even though technically he didn't sleep with Guinevere, in his heart he did. So he's going through this massive existential thing where he's like, I cheated on my king with my king's wife and I had this whole affair thing. And it's, uh, they just couldn't take the shame. And so he just carries this guilt and shame with him for a long time. And it's through unburdening himself to this mystical hermit 
that he's able to let that down and in, uh, let it go and forgive himself. And in the end, the hermit says, actually, that thing that you thought was like the sh- ultimate shame of your life has turned into something actually really positive. That that night that you slept with her, you guys actually had a son that you've never known about. And it turns out this son is Sir Galahad, who you have just recently knighted and taken under your wing. And he, Sir Galahad has become like a, almost like a son figure to you. And it turns out he's actually your son. And it goes on. And there's a, this thing that you thought was this massive failure in his life. Uh, to something that was really positive. So I'm thinking about that in my mind. It's going a, a million miles a minute. But for the first, the thing mainly, this is so, I do, and I don't know. This is the first thing my mind connected with. I remembered this quote by Brian Eno where he talks about the sound of failure. And I'm just going to read it to you real quick. Uh, Brian Eno said, whatever you now find weird, ugly, uncomfortable, and nasty about a new medium will surely become its signature. CD distortion, the jitteriness of digital video, the crap sound of 8-bit, all of these will be cherished and emulated as soon as they can be avoided. It's the sound of failure, the sound of things going out of control, of a medium pushing to its limits and breaking apart. The distorted guitar sound is the sound of something too loud for the medium supposed to carry it. The blues singer with the cracked voice is the sound of an emotional cry too powerful for the throat that releases it. The excitement of grainy film, of bleached out black and white, is the excitement of witnessing events too momentous for the medium assigned to record them. And I love that. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't have no, I actually have really no sum up of all of this, but I've just, I've just been, it's been on like the back of my mind all freaking day. And I want to share with you. I'm just like, man, okay. These things in the things that I'm making that I view as something that's holding me back, they may actually be the thing, the key to unlocking my voice. Like what are these things in my life, my artistic journey, my artistic mediums I'm putting out there that I need to set down my shame of and maybe actually double down and embrace? I don't know. I Like, like I said, I have no answers. I just want to put this on your radar. So maybe I'll do this. Maybe. This is a long, this is a, this is a long section of pro- poetry. Uh, but I'm going to share with you, if you want to keep listening to this, this is Malcolm Gite reading his poem about the adventures of Lancelot and this whole story I just told you in detail. I think it's fascinating. If you're a nerd like me, maybe you'll enjoy it. I'm still figuring this out. Thought I'd record a podcast before I have it squared away. Because <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> This is a knight who's come and is being healed by the Grail, and Lancelot is asleep, um, or half-wake, half-dreaming, and he sees it happen, and he wants to be part of it. He longs and yearns to, to come and touch the Grail himself, but he's, he's unable to move a limb, and he, doesn't, he really, in the course of um, the story, needs to discover why that is. Indeed, a Lancelot, where for many of the other knights, the Grail quest is a series of outer adventures, or the, the inner is shown through the outer, but for Lancelot, it really is a kind of inner quest, dealing with his heart stuff. 
discovering how much he's been driven, among other things, by kind of vainglory. But um, anyway, it's not too chill in here, and you can relax if you're sitting comfortably. Oh, it's a little bit longer than the episodes I normally do, but it's it's very central to the whole story. So um, it picks up on various episodes that were happening earlier. The Adventures of Sir Lancelot. When Lancelot began the quest and left fair Camelot, his heart was still half with the queen, and as he rode through forests green, long hidden thoughts and fears unseen troubled Sir Lancelot. For when the grail itself appeared above the table round, it stirred the memory of a dream, where things had not been all they seem, as though reflected in a stream and not on solid ground. For he'd once been to Carbonek, the castle of the Grail, and under an enchantment lay, for that fair place was fell and fay, and all he saw he could not say, nor make sense of the tale. In that dream time, it seemed to him he'd lain with Guinevere and sinned a sin, yet sinned in vain, for it had been the fair Elaine and not his love, the gracious queen, whom he'd encountered there. Yet there the grail had healed his pain and made his body whole. But when he woke and saw Elaine, his mind was broken with the strain, and he had fled, no longer sane, for madness seized his soul. That had been many years ago. Its memory lay hid. Though he'd recovered his sound mind and was full courteous and kind, the guilt he could not leave behind still shadowed all he did. The coming of Sir Galahad, the coming of the Grail, stirred up these buried memories and filled him with a strange unease and whispered of deep mysteries if he could lift the veil. Now, as he rode from Camelot, he sensed that on this quest all hidden things would be revealed. He prayed that out in fen and field somehow his deep wound might be healed and his dark soul find rest. He rode a week, a week and three, through lands both foul and fair. When up ahead he heard, all hail, tis Lancelot, if I can tell. And there he saw Sir Percivale, so glad to meet him there. And Lancelot was also glad, and met him with a smile. And Percivale likewise was cheered, to share the long roads, hopes and fears, and honoured that his noble peer would quest with him a while. At length they came unto a glade, where stood a cell of stone. And there the guest, some nun or priest, some anchorite or anchoress, kept vigil in the wilderness and prayed there all alone. A figure came out to the door, but even as she came, they turned to hear the sudden sound of horse hooves beating on the ground. And as they reined and turned around, a new knight challenged them. Full young he seemed, and bright and fair. He bore a silver shield, whereon was graved in blazing red the cross on which our Saviour bled. Lancelot turned his steed and said, Hold back, young knight, and yield. Bold Lancelot could overthrow the best knights of the realm, so gave this youth a chance to yield. He knew of most knights in the field, but knew not of the silver shield, nor knew the plume nor helm. I yield to none, the new knight said, save to my lord most dear. And saying this, he charged full strong. His shield was bright, his lance was long, and on his lips a battle song the two knights quailed to hear. 
Full on, he struck Sir Lancelot, and he, to his surprise, was clean unseated from his steed, for none before had done that deed. He was all bruised and did not bleed, but shame was in his eyes. Percivale turned to the new knight to challenge for his friend. Then he unsheathed his sword and struck the silver shield, shook off the stroke. Percival's blade rang out and broke. His strife was at an end. The new knight turned and left the glade. Both friends, though both friends, cried out, Stay, we know not who you are, but sure you must be noble, just and pure. To know your name would be our cure. But fast he rode away. And now the hermitess stepped forth, who'd witnessed all the fray. There goes the purest knight, she cried. And had you known with whom you vied, you'd not have challenged in your pride the Red Cross Knight this day. Then they perceived that Galahad had bested both of them. Percivale turned to the recluse, but Lancelot stayed not to choose. He spurred his horse and wild and loose rode swiftly after him. He rode apace and all athwart the forest wild and dim, but in that strong and headlong chase he searched and searched, but found no trace of that young knight whose hidden face was kith and kin to him. At length he came unto a cross and a fair marble stone, not far from which a chapel stood, half ruined in the wasteland wood. Before that ruined place he stood all wearied and alone. And then, it seemed, a kindly light shone from the chapel there. The light from out its windows streamed, and Lancelot, as in a dream, stepped, fearful, to the window frame, and saw a sight most fair. He saw an altar, swathed in silk, in silk of gold and white. And on the altar, rich and rare, a silver candlestick most fair, with seven branches kindled there, shone with unearthly light. He longed to come into the shrine, although he felt such awe. But all seemed sealed away from him as night fell on the forest dim. Alas, so near, yet far from him, for he could find no door. Defeated, he turned to the cross, unsaddled his good horse, and sunk in utter weariness, in near despair and bitterness, in that wide waste and emptiness. He slept beneath the cross. And half in dream, it seemed to him, or maybe half awake, he saw two palfreys drawing near, and they between them drew a bier, whereon a sick knight, full of care, cried, Heal me for Christ's sake. They brought the litter near the stone that stood before the cross. Sweet Jesus, Lord, the sick knight cried, when, when will the pains that pierce my side be healed by mercy deep and wide and love redeem all loss? Your promise will not fade or fail. O oh Lord, I beg you, lift the veil and let me touch your holy grail on marble here by moonlight pale beneath your holy cross. And lo, as he sank back in pain, the chapel filled with light. Lancelot saw a shimmering door, which he had not perceived before, and as he gazed in fear and awe, it opened on the night. And through the door, a hermit stepped, bearing the sevenfold flame, and set it on the marble there, which seemed an altar now, most fair, all sensed with incense, rich and rare, and gliding through the moonlight air, the holy vessel came. The grail 
was radiant with light, brighter than moon or sun. The sick knight left his bed of pain, weak as he was, and halt and lame, and on his hands and knees he came and knelt before the stone. And then he reached and touched the grail, which folded him in light. It seemed as though some high bell pealed, and heaven itself was half revealed, and in that touch the man was healed and stood a new-made knight. And all that time Sir Lancelot desired to join with him, for he too longed to kneel and pray, and touch the vessel if he may, and yet he found to his dismay he could not move a limb. And now the new-made knight spoke out unto the hermit there, Ah, now I may depart in peace. My Lord has granted my release. Henceforth my lips will never cease to praise the grail most fair. But how is it that this knight sleeps here so near the Holy Grail? How can he sleep? And who is he not to revere the mystery? Or is he blind and cannot see the light behind the veil? Alas, this knight is Lancelot, the hermit soft replied. The greatest knight in worldly fame, to seek the grail itself he came, but he's held fast by guilt and shame, and by his sins is tied. Heavy indeed his sin must be, to hold him to the earth. I know he wishes he could rise, his heart longs for these mysteries, but in his heart the trouble lies of double life and compromise that keeps him from his path. But each man searches his own heart, no other lifts that veil. Take now his favours, helm and steed, of these he has no further need, for he must dare an inner deed, and I will help him in his need to come unto the grail. And then the knight departed thence, and he was seen no more. The hermit lifted up the light, he bore it back into the night, the seven branches flaming bright, and closed the chapel door. And Lancelot fell back in sleep, wherein he dreamed a dream. It seemed he heard a strange new song, with wailing music loud and long, and words that might to him belong, could he tell what they mean. Oh, who is harder than the stone, more bitter than the wood, more naked than the barren fig that bore our Lord no fruit? The stone is hard, but harder still, the flinty heart of one who seals himself against his Lord and serves himself alone. The tree is bitter in the wood whose core is rotten through, more bitter still, one who betrays to whom he should be true. The fig was planted for our good to bear its fruit for all, but one is cursed who bears for fruit the wormwood and the gall. Here lies one harder than the stone, more bitter than the wood, who in his barren pride of heart brought evil out of good. But God has made the precious stone and blessed the growing wood. The fig and vine are his alone, and he will make them good. Lancelot lay uneasily and drifted in his dream, until the morning light broke through and the grey world regained its hue and sweet birds sang by two and two and things were as they seemed. And when he woke, Sir Lancelot wondered at all he'd seen. Had he been under some strange spell? Perhaps he'd only dreamed the grail or was there more to know and tell amidst the sights he'd seen? But lo, his helm and steed were gone 
and how he rued their loss. And then he knew it was no dream, as fleeting as the running stream. And in that morning's golden gleam, he turned back to the cross. And even as he turned to pray, from out the chapel came the hermit whom he'd seen and heard, from whose lips came such telling words. And as he came, a memory stirred like Pentecostal flame. For it was Nacian the wise, who'd brought fair Galahad and prophesied at Pentecost of all that might be found and lost the day that they began their quest and made their pledge to God. O oh, shrieve me, shrieve me, holy man, cried Lancelot in pain, for I, a sinner, came so close almost to touch the sacred host, yet fell so far, alone and lost with all my quest in vain. Ah, Lancelot, said Nacian, in life you have been blessed. God gave you more than any knight, more fame, more prowess, more delight. He lifted you up to the height and gave you of his best. And yet you never gave him thanks or gave the glory back. You have had wealth and strength and fame and mastery in war and game and love alike from maid and dame but there's one thing you lack you sought the kingdoms of this world the treasures of this time but you were still outside the gates for all the while god's kingdom waits you come to your repentance late but god will give you time so come and clean confess your sin before this ancient cross Spare not, but speak of all that's past, the harm, the hurt, the shame, the waste, and bring your heart to him at last, who can redeem all loss. So Lancelot knelt by the cross. At last his tears flowed free. Tears he'd suppressed through all his strife. Tears for his deep divided life. Contrition pierced him like a knife, but also set him free. At last, he told his story whole, not fearing the disgrace. He told of how he'd come to court, and in his coming, all he sought was fame and glory, to be thought the greatest in that place. He said the thing that he most feared was all disgrace and shame. Told how he sought in every fight to be perceived in the best light, to be the most revered of knights with honour to his name. And then he told how on a day, his eyes met Guinevere's, and how within her garden bower their budding love began to flower. The red rose blossomed, and its power soon vanquished all their fear. At first their love had been most pure and kept with honour bright. Such love from night to lady fair was hallowed by long custom there, and held as stainless, rich and rare, becoming of a knight. At first it seemed that courtly love brought out the best in him. In every deed he thought of her, her kindling eyes and auburn hair, and all her virtues rich and rare spurred him to do each deed and dare to risk his life and not to spare for honour of her name. But then he told how day by day love mingled with desire. Each longed to hold the other near, to kiss the one they held most dear. The tenderness of love most fair was fraught with hidden fire. He told of how he'd feared that flame and set off on a quest, hoping adventure in the field would still his heart and be a shield against these longings late revealed and give his spirit rest. 
And on that quest, somehow, he'd strayed in an enchanted wood, out of the bourne of time and place. He'd crossed a strange land, wild and waste, by paths he never could retrace. And there a castle stood. The gates were wide to welcome him, and they received him well. It was a strange and hallowed hall, whose solid walls seemed like a veil, like some fay palace in a tale, all wound around with spells. They called that castle Carbonek. King Peles was its lord. And there he saw a vision rare, a seven-branched light, an ancient spear, a sacred vessel rich and rare, which was by all adored. And when he laid him down to rest in a high chamber there, a gentle knock came at the door. He opened and stood back in awe, for there, it seemed to him, he saw, as he had seen her oft before, her rich dress flowing to the floor, the lovely Guinevere. Alas, alas, the knight confessed, my heart was all undone. She kissed me tenderly, and I breathed out my love in one long sigh. A soft embrace was her reply, and that night we were one. But when I woke the morrow morn, alas, what change was there? I found the one with whom I'd lain was Pelle's daughter, fair Elaine. For her I did my honour stain, and not for Guinevere. I rushed out from the chamber there into the casement sped, and threw myself in pain and fear down onto thorns as sharp as spears, but sharper still the guilt I bore as midst those thorns I bled. Then I ran out into the woods, and madness seized my soul. For many months I wandered wild and wept as I had been a child, until a good man, meek and mild, restored and made me whole. And yet, when I returned to court, things could not be the same. For when I looked on Guinevere, my double treachery was there, to her and to our king most fair. Yet love still burnt like flame. And so I came on this strange quest, unworthy as I am. I hoped that I might find the grail, and with it healing for my soul. Alas, in all things now I fail, and have defiled my name. He ceased to speak, but still he wept in bitterness and grief, bitter as wormwood and as gall. And yet somehow, in telling all, freely confessing his great fall, he felt a strange relief. Then Nacian laid on holy hands and said, You've spoken well. Your stony heart begins to break, and your true heart begins to wake. And now these words of comfort take from Christ, who loves your soul. He died that you might be forgiven, and on the bitter cross he paid the price for all your sin. And if you will, you may begin to rise with him and start again whose love redeems all us. And here's a token for your hope, a sign of God's strange grace. The very sin you most regret may turn to good if you will let his spirit work. It's not too late, so lift your troubled face. I tell you of a mystery hidden in God's design. For though you sinned with fair Elaine, your fall and hers were not in vain. Christ can transfigure every stain, and this shall be the sign. Just where you thought that all was lost, a great good was begun. The night long promised was conceived, 
by whom the grail will be achieved, the one united and received was also your true son. And Galahad will bring to pass the healing of this land. And lo, he loves and prays for you and for Elaine, his mother too. He knows you are his father true and with him you will stand. In Christ I do absolve your sin and give you counsel here. Your long, slow healing has begun. Go forth renewed and seek your son and henceforth all temptation shun and purify when you return that love wherein a false flame burned your love for Guinevere. Her heart is also pierced like yours, but with you she can heal. Offer to Christ your double pain no love can ever be in vain. You can find innocence again, and all may yet be well. Be of good courage, Lancelot. Now mount your palfrey white. You have no need of charger now, but set this helmet on your brow. The one who wore it made a vow to live a hermit's life. And now, God speed you, errant knight. So Lancelot took up the helm and rode the fair white steed, and praying God would show the way, he rode for many and many a day, seeking his only son always to help him in his need. At length, he came unto the shore of a deep hidden bay. A lovely ship was anchored there, with carven prow and lines most fair. She seemed a thing almost of air, too pure for light of day. And on the deck he saw three knights and one fair maiden pure. One knight who filled her silken sails, he saw was Percival of Wales, one good Sir Bors, of whom the tales tell of his faith most sure. The third knight's armour shone like fire all in the westering sun. Before the crossmast now he kneeled and set down his great silver shield, and Lancelot reined back and reeled and knew him for his son. We stay for you, cried Galahad, and hail you as our guest. I know you for my father true, and in my heart I honour you. The Lord has much for us to do. Come, join us in our quest. And Lancelot came to the ship and set the white horse free, and they have welcomed him aboard and blessed him by the kindly Lord. When all had been well shipped and stored, they brought the anchor to the board and sailed the shining sea. So longer episode hope you enjoyed it thanks for dropping around cheers rob morgan is an internationally touring bassist on a journey to discover what it means to live a curious life at thecuriouspod.com you'll find an archive of conversations reported all over the world a map of recording locations a weekly newsletter and official podcast merchandise rob is recording a daily podcast where he's sharing insights into the creative journey and the secrets to living a curious life that he's discovered from over a decade of traveling the world with music we here at curious endeavors have told him this is probably a mistake and he's an idiot to attempt it but he won't budge so that's where we're currently at we hope you'll enjoy